At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. As we step into the new year, we're turning to the book of James for our message series, Live the Truth. In a culture preaching the power of whatever feels right to you, it's time to set aside positive vibes for a truth you can stand on. Join us as we answer James' call to reject the latest feel-good message for a mature faith. It is so, so good to see you all this morning. Welcome also to those who are watching online. I know we have quite a group watching online this morning. You guys probably saw the social media post earlier this week. Uh, we put a post up just to show you that we do have a bookstore. If you did not know, because you're like, I don't know what social media posts we're talking about. We have right through this door, then across the hallway, that's where our lobby's located. In the lobby, that's where we can find our coffee. That's where we can find our restrooms. It's where the bookstore's located. Well, in the bookstore, I get my own little section now, like where I get to pick the books, which is so much fun. Like imagine if they were like, hey, you get to pick whatever books you want. They have to be like Jesus books, you know? But like, besides that, like you can pick whatever books you want. And and so there's actually a couple books in there that I'm recommending to start the new year. One is called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. The staff team has read through it. We've had our, our elders read through it. This is the book for those of you who you're like naturally driven. You're naturally a person who like you pack way too many things on the schedule. And it feels like in life, you just can't seem to get a break. It's like, man, I'm just like going, 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 going. Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. I think you're going to love it. I really do. It's one of those books that forces you to ask some hard questions and to re-examine some things in your life and just slow down a little bit. So that you'll find that book over there. That's one book that I'm recommending. The other one, Bob Goff. Like if you don't know Bob Goff, this is a guy, he comes from a background where he's an attorney and, or was an attorney. And then he looks at this whole command of Jesus, love God and love others. And he takes that seriously. And so I think what you're going to find as you read through, you're going to laugh a lot as you're reading through his stories. Uh, there might be some tears. I think you're going to be challenged just to do a better job of what it means to live as Christ, to love the world around you. But I guarantee it's one that you feel really, really good after reading it. So if you're like, man, I kind of, it's been heavy lately. I need something just to like, grab a Bob, uh, Bob Goff book. I think you're really, really going to love it. So speaking of social media, you've probably seen those types of Facebook posts where it's like, hey, read through this and I want you to tag your friend who's the wittiest friend or the bravest friend or the whatever friend, like, you know, those, I don't do those. So just so you know, I'm not trying to be mean. If you ever do tag me in something, I, I just, I don't know. I, I feel weird doing that, like tagging all y'all. Like it just, it just feels, because then I'm going to forget someone. I'm going to feel bad about myself for forgetting you. And I don't want to forget you. And so I just don't play that game. But anyway, some of you do. And I stalk you, just so you know. Like, so I still see what you're saying about all your friends, you know. And then you're going to be like, and this person is most likely to grab the stray dog and bring it into the house. And this friend is like the wisest. That's where I want to zoom in a little bit. The wisest. Because y'all know there's a difference in being smart and being wise, right? See, I, I surround myself with some really, really smart people, which makes me not feel so smart, y'all, like it does. In fact, I feel like Forrest Gump a little bit where I should look at Amy and go, I'm not a very smart man, Amy. You know, that's <laughs> how I should respond. And um, no, that's really how I feel because I do. I mean, I have some friends with just really, really advanced degrees and they're incredible thinkers and they're smart, but there's a difference in being intelligent or being smart and being wise. Wisdom is the application of your intelligence. I like how Spurgeon said it. Spurgeon said, it's the right use of knowledge. 
And so maybe a better question for that Facebook questionnaire thing, whatever you want to call it, maybe a better question though would be, who's the wisest person you know? Who knows how to take the word of God and apply it to their life? Because you know people who are great at working on cars. You know people who are great at woodworking. You know people who are great with kids. You know people who are great in business. But who's the person who says, I know how to take the word of God and and I really try to soak up what it says and then apply that to my life? Who's that person in your life? That person that you look at and you just say, you are so wise. Now, real fast, I just want to clean something up. It doesn't mean that to be wise, you try to push away intelligence. You see, if you really want to love God and love others, if you want to love God, then you have to trust God. You have to obey God. Well, then you need to know what God tells us to do with right living, don't you? You need to know what it says, so you still have to be a student of the word. When you're following Christ, you're still going to dive in and study God's word. How else are you going to be faithful in doing what he tells us to do if you don't know what he tells us to do? So you need to start with the study of God's word so that you have the intelligence first and then wisdom is the actual living out of that intelligence. So the reason I mention all this is we're going to be in the book of James for a season. James is wisdom literature. It's what's known as wisdom literature. In fact, this is called the Proverbs of the New Testament. Listen to how he starts out in verse number five of chapter one. He said, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Do you hear that? If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Let's take our Bibles, turn to the book of James. We're going to be here for about six weeks. Now it's closer to the back of your Bible, just after Hebrews, James chapters one. And so James is going to say, I want you as followers of Jesus to be marked by godly wisdom. You know, sometimes when you're reading in the New Testament, you're going to see, like Paul does this a lot. Over here, we have this group who theologically says this. And this group is theologically saying that. And Paul's going to say, let me weigh in so I can give you right teaching. That ain't James, y'all. James is not that. James is the guy who says, this is what the word says. Are we doing it or are we not doing it? Like, are we going to be hypocrites in life? Or are we actually going to do what we say we believe? So if you're that kind of person, if you're like, yeah, I don't want to just talk about all that. I want to do something. You know, I want to know that I'm, I'm like taking some action steps. If you're an action step kind of a person, you are going to love, love, love this series. But real fast, it doesn't mean it's going to be easy stuff. Listen to some of the things James says. James says things like, count it all joy when you face trials of many kinds. In other words, when you're going through the rough stuff of life, you need to count that joy. He says that faith without works is dead. In other words, when you say you believe something, If you don't actually have fruit from that, if you don't have some works from that, if you don't have some action from that, your faith is a dead faith. Like, what good is that? That's just junk. Like, you don't, what? That faith is dead. Faith without works is dead. He says that you should be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. In our TikTok-driven culture where we want to say what we want to say and be the experts of our story, this is counterculture thinking. So this is hard for us, church. This is not going to be easy teaching. It might be easy to understand, but this is difficult stuff to put into practice. And so that brings us to our big idea that mature faith, mature faith survives seasons of suffering. This isn't going to be easy to live out. Mature faith survives seasons of suffering. So real fast, here's how he he introduces himself in verse number one. He says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes in the dispersion greetings. 
Notice the humility there. He doesn't start with a resume, does he? He doesn't start with, let me tell you about my family background. Let me tell you about my work background. He doesn't do any of that. He says, I'm a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is not James, one of the 12 disciples. Most theologians agree this is James, the brother of Jesus. Y'all, this is James, the brother of Jesus. That's kind of a big deal, but that's not how he introduces himself, is it? He doesn't say, just so you know, I'm automatically in, I'm his brother. Like, so I, I automatically get some credibility here, right? Some street cred, because I'm the brother of Jesus. He's also one of the elders at the church in Jerusalem. Now, at that time, churches didn't have like senior pastor, campus pastor, executive pastor, associate pastor, worship pastor. They didn't have all these pastors. They had the elders who collaboratively, they came together to meet the needs of the church. Notice how he identifies himself, though. There's such a humble posture. I am a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he tells who he's writing to. He says, I'm writing to these individuals who come from a Jewish background, who have placed their faith in Jesus, and then experienced some persecution. And because of that persecution, you were dispersed across all these Gentile regions out throughout the land. And you're probably still going through trials. You're still going through sufferings. And so he says, I'm going to write this letter to you as an encouragement, an encouragement in your faith, because I don't want you to say you have faith. I want you to live your faith. And so he's going to give three truths in today's passage, three encouragements to survive sufferings. And the first thing we're going to see is you survive suffering by having a right understanding of God's goal, a right understanding. We're going to look at verses two through four here, and then verses 12 through 18. Verse number two. James says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Verse number 12, skip down a little bit. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he's tempted, well, I'm being tempted by God. For God can't be tempted with evil. And he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it's conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift And every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And so he starts out. He says, count it all joy. Remember who he's writing to. Because when you remember that, it almost makes you pause and say, are you, are you serious right now? Count it all joy. You didn't read the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Because if you did, you would have said, hey, do you remember y'all when we were back in Jerusalem? It was great. We'd just eat some fish and we'd talk about how Jesus walked on the water and, and how he healed that leper. Do you remember that? Like, man, it sure was good, wasn't it? That's not what he does though. He says, when you're going through the trials, you need to count it all joy. Just real fast, I want you to have a picture of who he's writing to. Back in Hebrews chapter 11, we see a picture of the persecution that the early church is going through. It says this, you can write this down to read through it later. Verse 35, Hebrews 11 says, women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured 
refusing to accept release so that they may rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging. They, They were beat, they were whipped. And even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were, listen, they were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. This is a picture of who he's writing to. This is a picture of the early church. And here's, here's what he's saying. He's saying, even when you're going through the trial, you count it joy. Joy is not dependent on your circumstances. Joy is not dependent on things you're going my way or not going my way. Joy is not dependent on that. He's saying, I want you to look past any kind of suffering you may be facing. I want you to look past any kind of trial that you may be facing. And then look at verse three. He talks about the positive outcome of that testing. The positive outcome is a mature faith. That's the positive outcome. He uses this word hupomone to describe the type of faith. Hupomone doesn't mean like you're just patient in your faith. It means you are steadfast in your faith. It means there is fruit in your faith, even in the trials. There's still fruit in your faith. It's what you would see described in Luke 8 where Jesus talks about the person who's gonna be the type of soil that's gonna bear much fruit. Even in the suffering, you're bearing fruit. Even in the trials, you're bearing fruit. So you heard the stories from pastors where they say, okay, way back in the year 300, or I just did it, right? Back in Hebrews chapter 11, listen to the persecution that happened. Or back in 1930, here's what happened. Here's the persecution that happened. We always want to talk about what happened way back when. Well, how about if I said 2018? Just a few years ago, many of you have heard the name Pastor Wang Yi, who oversaw a house church network. And so there's eight to 900 believers in this house church network. That's when in 2018, authorities kicked in the door in China and they arrested him and 100 people in the church because they were having a prayer meeting. Now, here's the part of the story. You may have heard this story, but you may not know the part of the story that says if you go back to 2014, he was identified as one of the top 50 influential people in all of China. Think about that. 2014, one of the 50 most influential people in all of China. He was an attorney and he was an author. One of the top 50 influential people. Then 2015, he placed his faith in Christ as Lord and Savior. He was baptized. He became a a pastor of of a house church. 2018, he was arrested. 2019, he was sentenced to nine years in prison. His wife, I I read an article that said his wife was able to see him this last November. She was able to see him and her response was, well, I mean, he's lost a lot of weight, but his faith in the Lord is strong. Even through the trial, there is a maturity to his faith. Do you hear that? An incredible maturity. And I think we hear stories like that and it causes something to kind of rise up in us. And I think it's why we, we hear that there's going to be this crown that's given. Verse number 12, he talks about the faithfulness is going to lead to this crown. Now, it's not a crown like you would give to a king. This crown is a crown like you give to the victor of a race. Now, today, if you run the race and you're in the Olympics, you get the big gold medal and you can't go through security. And it's, a, a whole big, it's a whole big mess, Right. But I want you to think back in the day, you guys know this, you would get like the, the branches, right? The crown. It's the same crown that we see talked about in Revelation chapter two 
where it says, John says, be faithful even to the point of death, for I will give you the crown of life. See, that's what James is encouraging us in. He says, no matter what you're going through, no matter what sickness you're going through, no matter what financial struggle you're going through, no matter what relational struggle you're going through, he would say that that trial that you're going through, if you're going through persecution, if there's loved ones, you know, literally being sawn in half, he would say that faith, even in the trial, is going to lead to a mature faith, a faith that's going to be rewarded by the Lord. Next thing that we see is we survive suffering by having a right understanding of our sinfulness. Look at verse 13 through 15. James says, let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God can't be tempted with evil. He himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire when it's conceived gives birth to sin and sin when it's fully grown brings forth death. And so James does a shift here. He's been talking to us about God's goal even in our suffering. That God's goal is that we would become mature in our faith even through the suffering that we face. But now he's shifted to talk about our sinfulness and a right understanding. Now, why would he do that? Well, because James knows our temptation. This is not new. What you and I do, it's not new. Here's what we do. If you don't have a right understanding of God's goals in our lives, if you don't have a right understanding of our own sinfulness, then when you go through trial, what do you say? Well, God clearly isn't good because look at what's happening to me. Why would this ever happen? You ever heard that? Right? That's why he's saying that this should lead to maturity in our faith. It's why he's saying that, that we need to understand our, our sinfulness because God is good. God is always good. God is not tempting us. In fact, let me say this in a crystal clear way. If you are being tempted in any way in the world, if you are being tempted to sin, it is not from God. I don't want you confused on that. It is not from God. If you are facing temptation, it is not from God. So then where's it from? How are we tempted? Well, James tells us, James says that it's, it's our, the evil that lies within us, right? That there's, there's a posture toward sin. It's what's talked about in Jeremiah 17, where Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Right? And so what this says is there's this temptation that happens. It's kind of like fishing, right? I'm not good at fishing, y'all. I've tried it. I'm real good at video game fishing, but not real fishing. But we have people here who are good at real fishing. George Fisher, ironically enough, George Fisher is good at fishing. Like if you listen to George talk, it doesn't matter whether it's a boat, it doesn't matter whether it's a river, whether it's a lake, George is going to go out fishing and then he's going to, when you say, how'd you do, George? Well, it's kind of a rough day, but we did catch our limit. You know, we did. And everyone in the boat, it's George. I saw George earlier. Where's George? George is, he's at the coffee table. Yeah. So he's watching over in the lobby. Here's what George does in my mind. He'll take that fishing pole. He's going to catch his limit. And then he's going to say, well, I caught my limit. You haven't caught your limit. Give me your fishing pole. He's going to catch that limit. And he's going to hand it off. You didn't catch your limit. Give me your fishing pole. And, you know, but everybody's going to catch your limit when George is there, right? George just knows how to bait everything correctly and lure those fish in a way where they want to eat that hook up. And he catches them all, right? Maybe that illustration is horrible. It's like the book, it's like the book Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. 
C.S. Lewis writes this book about this demon named Screwtape who's writing letters to another demon named Wormwood. And he's saying, here's how you tempt people. This is how you do it. This is how you get them to choose sin and not choose God. How to pull them away from holy and get wrapped up in sin. This is how you do it. The whole book is just saying, here's how people get tripped up in sin. C.S. Lewis in his letters talking about that book said, I hated writing this story. I don't ever want to have to do that again. Just diving into the depravity of sin. And then James shifts. So he's talking about this temptation, this luring that happens. And then he switches the illustration to become more of a birthing illustration. And he says that if it's not repented of, if temptation, if we don't turn away from temptation, that it's going to give birth to sin. And then sin, if it goes unchecked, is going to mature and lead to death. Here's what James just said. You and I, because of sin, because we chose ourselves and our own depraved ways instead of holy, instead of God's ways, because of that, you and I stand condemned to death. Sin leads to death. It's like you're sitting in a courtroom And the gavel falls and the judge says, I find you guilty and the sentence is death. That's the spot we're in. On your own, you can't overturn that. You're not the judge. You have no power, literally no power to overturn that. That's the incredible good news of Jesus. This is where Jesus stood in our place and said, I know what they've been condemned of. I know the sentence they've been giving. I'll pay. That's what Jesus did on the cross. He paid our penalty on the cross, his death, his burial, and then his resurrection, he conquered sin and death. You and I can have a right standing with God through faith in Jesus, the work he has done, the work he has already paid the price on the cross. You and I can have a right standing with God. The expectation is as you mature, this becomes more and more clear. Now, if you're exploring faith for the first time today, if you're tuning in online and, and this is all new to you, you're not really a church person, you're just kind of trying to explore what you think about faith, this is going to be a hard concept. It really is. This is a very difficult concept if you're approaching it for the first time ever. It is hard, right, to apply this to life and to live this out. The hope is as you mature, it becomes easier, It's kind of like a child with names, right? Maybe your kids were always great with names. My kids struggled partly because of what I named them. See, Ian's middle name, my oldest child's middle name is the same as my middle name. And so Ian figured everybody's name was our middle name and our last name. So he's like, it's Ian Shiloh Creech and Dada Shiloh Creech and Mama Shiloh Creech and Gaby Shiloh Creech. Everybody's Shiloh Creech. You know, that's everybody's name. He's a little boy, so that made sense. It was logical to him. Now, as he's aged, he's like, okay, that was dumb. I don't know what I was thinking. Like, I didn't know, you know. And so as you mature, it becomes more and more clear. That's how it should be with us. When we look at our own sinfulness, when we look at the ways of God and we see that God is good, he is always good because of the maturity of our faith and our view of sinfulness, it should become more and more clear, which brings us to our last point. Surviving suffering, if you want to survive suffering and trials in your life, it's going to require a right understanding of God's character. Look at verse 16. He says, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. 
of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So he starts out, do you see just the, the love that he has here? Verse 16, he refers to them as beloved brothers. He wants them to understand the love that he has for them. But more than that, he wants them to understand the love that God has for them. This is where you see in, in verse 17 that he reassures them that God does not tempt you. God never tempts you. In fact, he does the opposite. He's the one that every good gift is coming from God. He's the one who's giving those good gifts. He is the, the father of the heavenly lights, he says. That goes back to Psalm number eight, which tells us that the sun, the moon, the stars are all works of his hands. So here's what I want you to do in the morning when you wake up and you see that sunrise, if you're on your way to work and you get to see it come up over the horizon, I want you to see that as God's handiwork. It is good. If you see the sunrise and the gray sky kind of goes away enough that you can see that sunset, I just want you to see that as God's handiwork. If we have one of those crystal clear winter nights where that winter moon comes out and just lights up the world around us, I want you to see that as God's handiwork. But it's more than just that. Did you see the description that James gave? He said that it's also a description of God's character, the purity of God's character. In him, there's no variation. There's no shadow. You see, sometimes what we do, because of the trials that we face, what we do is we say, well, God is good mostly, except for this one little thing about God, that thing I really struggle. No, there's no variation or shadow. God is good. He is all good. He is holy, completely holy. In him, there is no blemish. There is no spot. God is completely holy. James wants us to understand the character of God, of who God is. So much of this is driven by our own posture, isn't it? Here's what I mean is in your family, in your business, in your organization, in your church, you do realize that there is a culture in all of those places. There's a healthy culture or there's a toxic culture. Like pick your... Um, your dinner table, as an example. If you sit around at the dinner table or if you, if you sit around with your friends at a dinner table, it's, it's all the same. There's a culture that exists because you're either having a posture where you're assuming the best or the worst. And if you're assuming the worst of those around you, of your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister, your aunt, your uncle, your son, your daughter, if you're assuming the worst, it's, it's gonna be tense, isn't it? It's not gonna go well. Because you assume the worst. You think that they woke up and they went, hee, 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 I'm going to make their life horrible today. <laughs> they didn't do that. They did not wake up and do that. And yet sometimes our hearts just kind of get critical like that, don't they? Your heart gets a little bit jaded. You start to get a kind of a rough posture there. The opposite would be assuming the best of them. I was saying, I don't understand why they do everything they do, but, but I know they love me. I, I know their intention. The same is true for your workplace. You're assuming the best, you're assuming the worst. I want you to go to a couple who's been married for, for 40 years, for 50 years. Go to that couple. And I want you to look at that couple and I want you to say, hey, your spouse, they're kind of rotten, aren't they? They're rotten at the core. They're no good, that scoundrel. Like they're just, they're a bad guy, they're a bad girl. You know, they just, you've tolerated them for a long time. You deserve a prize and Here's what's going to happen. Now, maybe you find the person who's a jokester and they'll play with you for a little bit. But if you get at the heart of them, here's what they're going to do. They might even get teary-eyed as you say stuff like that because they're going to go, oh, no, you've got it all wrong. 
Don't you understand how patient she's been with me? She has been with me through thick and thin. This woman is so faithful and so loving and so compassionate. I don't understand why she does everything she does, but I know she loves me and I don't question that, not even a little bit. And she's gonna look and she's gonna say, do you know this man? He, I don't understand him. I don't. I don't understand why he does everything. But he loves me unconditionally. He, lo- he said he was gonna love me and sickness and health, richer for poor, better. He was telling the truth. He was telling the truth and he is stuck by me. And I love him more than any person on this planet. I love him. That's what you're going to hear from those two. That's the posture that we're to have towards God. God, even in those places where I don't understand everything about why you do the things you do, Lord, I trust you. I completely, wholeheartedly trust you. I don't question your goodness. I don't question your holiness. God, you are good. That's what we have for those of us who are children of God, who have been born again. That means that whole judge scene that I played out earlier, that means for those who have said, I'm surrendering my life to Jesus and what Jesus has done in the work of Christ on the cross. When you do that, you become a son or daughter of the Most High. And maybe you haven't done that, and I just want to encourage you, today can be your day. Today can be the day that you, want, that you say, I want to live as Christ. I don't want to live for my own glory anymore. I don't want to live trying to say that it's all about my efforts, my works, and what I can do. It's not based on what you can do. It's based on what Christ has done. If it's based on what you can do, you're doomed because you've sinned. You've fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. We all need Christ. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.